really need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is Buffalo What's Next. I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. I'm Dave Debo. And I'm Thomas O'Neill White. After May 14th, how can we afford not to talk about race? About education, about segregation, about humanity. Since the dawn of this nation, racial violence has existed. The way we have designed our society has a big hand in what occurred in that Topps market. The suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. We need to make sure that we put more funding in our programs that help prevent gun violence and more money into art. If we're going to have some real healing, we've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truths. And good morning. Welcome to WBFO's Buffalo What's Next. Coming up later in the program, Dave Debo is going to talk with uh, Francisco Vasquez, the President Emeritus of Child and Family Services. But our first guest has uh, a lot of uh, things to offer us this morning in terms of his experience. A young man who has lived a, a lot of life already since his time here in Buffalo, Paul Perez is with us uh, this morning. Paul, thanks for joining us. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Peace. How y'all doing? <laughs> well, we're doing okay. Paul is involved with a lot of different things. He says he's uh, the uh, site director for Home Headquarters, but uh, that's his 9 to 5, as he tells me. But he is involved in a couple of other things, a lot of it having to do with real estate, uh, better living interests, and also better living uh, logistics, too, correct, as correct. well. So we want to get into all those things. But I think, P- Paul, one of the things that, that really strikes us about your experience and your thoughts is just about when it comes to general generational wealth and the lack thereof when it comes to a lot of black people. Mm-hmm. Just a, a general thought about that, what you are seeing and how perhaps maybe you're going about your experience to try to overcome that. For sure. Um well, I, I take my experience back to my origins, right? Um, I'm originally from the South Bronx, Bronx, New York City, uh, home of the Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> um, for everybody that loves them out there, we appreciate it. Uh, we, you know, coming from that environment, I tell people, especially here in Buffalo and Western New York, I'm pretty much the equivalent of your Bailey Kensington, your Broadway Fillmore neighborhoods, you know, underserved, uh, the almost... The forgotten communities, um, you know, New York City, yes, is big, 8 million people. The Bronx alone is 2.8 million, um, but we don't get the same services and the same uh, resources that uh, other communities or affluent communities get. And when we do get it, it's more so as we're targeted, like a targeted population and quotas for organizations and groups. Um, So for me, growing up in New York, growing up as a kid, I saw those adversities of crime. I saw violence. I saw uh, drugs and what that did to not only my community, but, you know, what those things did and hit my home. You know, I've had uh, the good where I had law enforcement. Um, I have family who are um, detectives, NYPD. Um, I have also family and friends that also serve time in Rikers, Mm. you know, and I also have a father-in-law who was a corrections officer in Rikers. So I got to see, you know, both paradigms of the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I took the initiative and I really just had this inner self-motivation that a lot of people, you know, tell me about sometimes to my own detriment but uh they always say man you're so confident in yourself like you you just don't stop you keep believing in yourself and you keep going and uh that's what led me to go to school do what i had to do i played sports 
And Wait, I eventually did you play ball at uh, yeah at, at Buff State. Uh, no, I didn't get to play oh, ball okay. at Buff State. Uh, but I thought I was when I initially came up here. I thought I was gonna go, yeah. I thought I was gonna play football. I was like, oh, okay, it's a D three. I could probably just go in as a walk on and right. do my thing. But um, I went to Buff State. That's what led me here in 2007, uh, undergrad. Um, and then I had got into some things um, to my own doing. You know, young kid coming up from New York City. Um, first, what was time it like coming into coming into in. Buffalo from New York City and, and that Buff State community? It was it was a culture shock. Um, I think for me, you know, Buffalo itself is very different from New York City. Um, the housing, the atmosphere is more of a um, hometown type of feel here. Whereas in New York, you know, it's a big city, you know. Um, but I, I do love the, the fact that, you know, all my friends from Buffalo, everybody here, my family, um, they love the bills you know <laughs> you can't get you can't get away from it you know so they have been trying to convert me for several years now even when the team wasn't doing too well to be a bills fan so you know in my mind i'm i'm a jets giants okay. you know i, I rep new york city but i do support the buffalo bills and i'm happy to see them win and we're happy to have you along on the wagon that's for sure <laughs> as we go through a hopefully a great season here for hey sure. uh, let's sit and talk uh, about when we go, uh, when it comes to black generational wealth, this is interesting. You, you've looked at the, the situation. What are the things that stand out? What, do you, what are things that people need to understand when it comes to black generational wealth and some of the issues? I think the, the statistic I've seen is the average black household has one-tenth mm. of the uh, retirement income built up or savings built up that the average white household would have. Yeah, and I also, like an, uh, another alarming statistic was I learned that black population, though maybe 12% of the country's population, only owns 1% of the country's wealth. And within the next 20 years, that population will own less than 1% of the country's wealth. And I look at, you know, other groups like uh, Jewish Americans or Chinese Americans, and I just see how they are a smaller population in size, but they own more than the black population, I want to say, within the Jewish communities about in the 20 percentile rate. So to me, it, it just was, was a sticking point. And, and to the to the earlier point of me coming to Buffalo, yeah. um, I had to live off campus. Um, so when I lived off campus, I was living on Grant and Bradley and I was in, in entrenched in the West side and I was like, Oh, okay, this is comfortable. I'm familiar with this. I come from the Bronx. This looks, you know, very similar right. to where I come from. And then I started noticing like, you know, yeah, I'm in the Bronx. Uh, uh, I'm now in Buffalo, but man, like these houses are like in turmoil. Like I was living next door to vacant abandoned properties. You know, my apartment essentially was what they considered an old trap house. So they used to sell drugs out of there um, a long time ago. And they thought because now I lived there that, you know, they were still selling drugs. So people would knock on the back of our door, you know, trying to get drugs. And we kind of had to tell them, like, no, we don't. We're wow. college students. We're just here, you know, just to rent and just go to school. So it took some time. But now, you know, if you drive on all along Grand Street, you have now seen that transformation of that community and what that community looks like. Um, and to your point about the generational wealth, you know, you think about all those families and those peoples that originally lived there in the west side of Buffalo, in the east sides of Buffalo, um, even the Fruit Belt part of Buffalo. And you see how now those neighborhoods were, you know, entirely destituted, weren't the areas of, of interest. Nobody wanted to put money or resources into there or even dare live there. And now 
it's you know where to be you know people are buying i'm seeing nothing but are new you construction seeing that in your real estate a hundred percent i mean i'm constantly driving i'm constantly you know talking to people i'm constantly helping people in my um position as a site director um we do a down payment um uh, excuse me we do two percent down payment mortgages with no pmi we also do uh uh, what you call it, uh, home improvement loans and grants for single-family homeowners and also for multi-use. Uh, so for landlords that invest in um, properties here, specifically in Buffalo, they would qualify for a grant in combination with a loan. Um, and we also do new construction. Um, that's what the company does. So I'm constantly doing that on my daily work. And then on my own business, you know, I'm looking at the community and, and I had the privilege of um, when I had finished school and and I was going into grad school at Buffalo State College. I got an internship in City Hall. And when I was working in City Hall, I was working in the Division of Citizen Services. So I got to get a a feel of what does the ombudsman of the city of Buffalo look like, where all the calls, where all the concerns, you know, the hotline, essentially, and get connected to all the city departments. And that's where I eventually leveled up and graduated with my master's degree, and I became the um, coordinator for the Save Our Streets Task Force. And in that time, that's when I started doing all these clean sweep programs all throughout the city, and I was looking at data to match the resources with the different organizations to come out there and do it on a weekly basis. Let's talk about the Clean, uh, clean Sweeps uh, initiative. Now, you're not involved in it like you were at that time. Correct. Uh, but what is it exactly? Just make sure we understand what we're talking about here. Sure. So the Clean Sweep is a unique public-private partnership. Um, basically, it's headed from the mayor's office, and it just connects all the city departments, county um, agencies, state agencies, federal agencies, along with uh, not-for-profits, local not-for-profits, and local businesses to go into the community and provide resources and services, whether it be um, broken into three teams. So there's the beautification and restoration team, you know, cleaning up the vacant houses. Before, when I first started, they were demolishing vacant houses. Right. That has changed now. But um, And as know, a real estate person, you think that's good? Uh, I do. Okay. I do. I all do. Because right. I think that now we're at the point where everything is cleared and now we need to start building. Gotcha. Okay. Right. Um, so then you had that. And then you also had the um, outreach community, outreach teams, um, which is one of my favorite groups because they go out door to door and they're giving their information and services, talking to the residents in the community. Also, not only just giving services, but collecting information and data from the community members to then better enable us as a city at the time to you know deliver these services in a more effective manner. And then you have the uh, what we call codes in law enforcement. And that was probably to me one of the greatest parts of it is because now you get to have community police officers going into the community, speaking to the residents and working with them. At the same time, you also have um, housing code officials going out there and, um, you know, doing summonses and, and warnings for those that need repairs, specifically, you know, those absentee landlords right. that are out there that do like to take advantage of, you know, renters. And I can speak to that being a renter, you know, coming from Section 8 housing, even when I was in college, I had food stamps while going to school full time at Buffalo State College, you know. But just because I was on government services to get to that next step in my life doesn't mean that I didn't deserve the same good, fair, equitable quality of life like anyone else does. We're all paying the same money. 
So, you know, provide the same equitable services. So to me, working on that, being a part of that, leading that initiative really helped me kind of um, lead my direction into what I want to do with the rest of my life and, and specifically my career. We're talking with uh, Paul Perez uh, this morning on uh, Buffalo What's Next. A lot of different things that we can talk about here, and we did touch upon the generational wealth. But I'm interested about your experience, though, with the uh, the, the clean um, sweep uh, program or initiative and, and the outreach part of it. That's mm-hmm. interesting to me. So you're going up to houses in, on a given street, a given block or whatever, walking up to people. What kind of reactions did you get? Uh, continuously, you know, Good, received well. You know, people like that. People do want to see. They appreciated that uh, that contact. Of course, of course. Especially, you know, when I'm going out there representing um, the organization that I work for, Home Headquarters, and I'm, you know, providing them with uh, information and application saying, hey, listen, we can help you with your roof. We can help you with your foundation. We can help you with your windows that are in such, you know, need of repair because those are the original uh, windows that you got the house when, when it was built, you know? Right. So... For me, all of that just um, allows me to to reach the people effectively on a one-on-one basis. And at the same time, it also allows me to constantly receive new ideas, receive new information, like what is the people in need of? Because I think a lot of times with organizations, they, they all have good intentions. And even in government, anywhere you go, even business, right? Everybody has their idea. They came up. They did what they had to do. They excelled. They exceeded, and they reached a certain point. But then that could also be your ceiling. You don't want an apex. You want to keep going. Right. So you got to also know that the people in which you serve, they're the ones who steer the ship. So just always having that ear and um, eyes on the street and, and your heart connected to those people really helps make you genuine. And I think for me, that's always been like my my staple here in, in Buffalo and why I've been received so well is, you know, to many other community members when I go to um, block club meetings, um, speaking to the board of block clubs, talking to different organizations, going to town hall meetings, you know, they always look at me and receive me as like a young brother or to, to the elder women. Right. I'm usually <laughs> like their young grandson, you know? So I appreciate that and I'm thankful. And, and they always see me as he's he's here to help. So I appreciate that, and I'm always trying. Because that's not always the reaction, I would think. That not, not, you know, not everybody is necessarily accepted when it comes to, hey, I, you know, I'm here to help. Yeah, everybody's here to help, but maybe not everybody is accepting that outside help as, as much. But yet you, you find a different experience. For sure. I mean, I, I always uh, told myself as, what's the definition of leadership? And to me... My personal opinion is leadership is someone who's close enough to relate to, yet I had enough to follow. And I've been through the trenches. You know, I'm from the, the hood. You know, I'm right. from these neighborhoods. Um, so I know what it is to struggle. I know what it is to, you know, just keep trying and, and, and trying to do the right thing and doing the right thing and consistently putting your best foot forward and having faith in God. Um, at the same time, taking those blessings and now leveraging it and working on it and and as you go up you know i took the stairs i go up i'm always looking back as how can i help the next person so you know i'm a i'm a community champion at heart 
I just have different outlets as to how I can do that. Right, no doubt. It's uh, impressive uh, the way you've gone about do doing this for sure. When you look at you, kids, 16, 15, 14-year-old kids, do you think back to the kids that you were growing up with in the South Bronx? Do you think of yourself? And you know, what can you say to these kids? For sure. Actually, I spoke to them uh, this summer. We had a uh, shout out to the Yale Academy. Uh, my brother Lee Anthony Freeman, uh, Buffalo native, uh, also a fraternity brother of mine, Prince Hall Mason, Ionic Lodge number eighty-eight, and uh, he, <laughs> You're he always networking, are you? <laughs> listen, I'm I'm always working. I'm yeah. in I'm in the community. You know, I'm I'm here. I'm I'm really entrenched um, into this work, and this is my heart. This is my passion, and I think that you can always, you know, I told the kids. So what I did was over the summer, I taught them about. Um, credit right i taught them about the basic principles of credit how to use that what does that look like for themselves i taught them about how to create an llc and i taught them about real estate and i'm a big proponent of uh, the three uh, most financially successful people in the country right tend to be those who invest in real estate right those who invest in stocks and bonds Right. As we saw in the Great Recession, those 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 groups, those organizations still rose. Right. Mm -hmm. The same thing with the housing market. It took a hit, but it still rose to, you know, incredible new heights now. And then um, those who also own businesses, you know, those three um, groups or people, you can be all of one or you could be two of three. But you got to be in one of those fields because those are the people that get the most tax benefits. Those are the people that actually rise with the tide when the economy comes back. So, you know, for me, you know, going back to the black wealth and what I spoke with with the students, I was teaching them this is how you build black wealth. This is how you build that passive income or just even have assets in which you own that if anything happens or things hit the fan you have this for yourself and your family and you could potentially live off of this and pass this down to the next generation and the next generation is what we need to focus on when you look at kids like that like you were talking to this summer i'm sure they were enraptured with the idea of having the possibility of having wealth but at the same time there must be pitfalls what do you see are the pitfalls for, for young people? For sure. I mean, speaking to my black and brown community here in Buffalo and to nationwide and even further throughout in the world, worldwide, um, we're not privy to those resources. We're not privy to those conversations. You know, um, our education system really doesn't put an emphasis on teaching uh, kids, even in college, teaching you about credit like what is your FICO score you know simple things like that a budget you know I always start off my credit uh, classes uh, and consultations with do you have a budget okay you don't have a budget all right we need to work on a budget basic simple what's your income what's your expenses this is your net operating income you know this is this is what you have left over to work with and then when we have those conversations and we go through those um, exercises, they start to realize, like, yeah, I wanted a car, but you know what? This car may be a little bit too much right now, so let me just save up, and then I'll eventually get a car when I have three months of savings. Or I have, you know, um, three months of my car payment, you know, uh, my rent is paid, I have all my bills in order, and I can sustain myself, you know, to my next job or my next uh, position in my career. It uh, sounds like, obviously, a, a great approach to, to things. At the same time, kids are being marketed to, right? Mm -hmm. uh, from outside interests who 
You know, they don't really care about their budget. They don't really care about um, their generation of wealth. They just care about getting their money from their pockets into their corporate coffers. Is that something that you see as a troubling landscape as well? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think even for adults, not even just children. <laughs> sure, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think a lot of us, you know, and it's just the American way, right? What, even America, you know, I can't, I can't tell, you know, the micro uh, how to do things if we're not acknowledging the macro. And the macro is is that America's in debt. You know, trillions of dollars in debt to other nations, right? That we're supposedly competing against, and it's like, how can you get out of that? Well, you got to be a producer. You got you to gotta stray away from being a consumer and start focusing on being a producer. And I think for us, you know, I like nice things. I like to wear, you, you know. amazing sneakers. Oh, I appreciate it, brother. <laughs> appreciate it. Shout out to Y3, Yohoji Yamamatsu, and shout out to Soho in New York City. We out here. Okay. I'm but, sorry uh, for <laughs> but um, you know, I do like nice things, and I did show the kids. I showed the kids that, you know, I'm driving a Tesla. I did show the kids, you know, I, I do have all the, you know, the new Yeezys and stuff like that. But I only have what I have because I could afford it and that's what we got to get into we got to get into the mindset of what is affordability and there's things that I have passed up on because I'm willing to have that delayed gratification you know for me you know having to have food stamps having to you know um grind and go to go to Buff State full-time go travel all the way to the mall because the bus took an hour just to get all the way out to Chictawaga, you know, and I only had but maybe $20 in my pocket for the week to, you know, basically buy any food at that time, you know, outside of the food that I had at my house, you know, it, it put a lot of things in perspective and that adversity, those obstacles really helped refine me and focus me in to say, all right, you need to get the things that you need and then you can, you know, scale up you can start building your um, income and then you can budget and have, you know, maybe 10 percent allocated to things that you want, you know, and preserve your stuff, protect yourself. You know, there's getting things right that you want or uh, getting assets. Then there's protecting those assets. Right. That you want. And then is expanding and building on those assets to try to accumulate more. And I, that's the American way. That's the true American way. We follow the leaders, the, the, the entrepreneurs, those um, business owners, you know, the, the civil rights movement was led by the entrepreneurs and the blacks that, you know, who invested in the community. They had to pay for Martin Luther King and, and all of these civil rights leaders to go on these buses, to travel, to preach the good word. But there was still money involved. You know, we, we still live in a capitalist democracy. And we saw in the 2016 elections and beyond, even currently with Joe Biden, that capitalism is always going to win because how do they pay for these billion dollar now campaigns? Right. It's money. So if we can preserve our money and take our money and use it like seeds, right? So the wise farmer is going to plant that seed and give it the nourishment that it needs so that way it can grow. But if, if your money is like a seed and you're not planting them and you're not growing them, then what are you doing? Are you eating them? Are you throwing them away? What are you going to do when, you know, there, there, there's a drought? There's no abundance. You got to be able to have some, some self-sustainability. And that's my biggest thing to promote to the community is we need to start focusing on being producers instead of just being consumers. And I think you actually just answered the question right there, but I'll ask it anyway. For this community, for the Buffalo community, you're obviously a, a big picture guy, yet you're working down in the trenches at the same time. Right. 
What's obstructing that message from the community? Um, definitely the media. You know, we have a lot of, in our community, a lot of negative um, depictions of ourselves. We, uh, we too much associate wealth with material things. Um, and that's why, for me, it's kind of like you got to have the sugar before you give the vinegar. Right. So I, I showed them like, yes, you can have nice things and you can do it with integrity and build and take care of your family. Um, you know, we do have obstructions and I'm proud to say it, you know, from and it's just not local, but just overall too, right. Like governments, you know, our, the government has failed black people consistently. Um, we tend to um, be sold uh, what we call in our neighborhoods the wolf tickets. A wolf ticket. <laughs> a wolf ticket. So basically, you know, it's like crying wolf, you know, but it, it, it doesn't amount to anything. And I think for us, we need to stop trying to put all our eggs in the basket of, you know, hope and, and, and uh, government. Because government can't just do everything by itself, you know. And I learned that when I worked in City Hall, like, it was great and it was a, a beautiful opportunity and I'm forever thankful because it, it allowed me to start my career and really understand the community and, and what I want to do. Um, but I also acknowledged and learned that as much as I was going into these communities that were underserved and putting all the resources and energy into it, I also realized that the community is, is the number one uh, leader for the community to get out to, to, to rise. So, you know, that's why I'm, I'm really a big proponent on not putting blames to anyone, yet, you know, acknowledging the atrocities and the things that are going on, speaking truth to power, right? And at the same time, going back to my community and saying, hey, we have to do better. We have to invest in ourselves. And investing in ourselves is not just, uh, you know, purchasing the assets. Investing in ourselves starts with, you know, our health. Uh, our mental health, our spiritual health, um, you know, making sure that we're taking care of our household. You know, is there love going on within each other? Like, can you see your your fellow brother in the neighborhood and just say, you know, peace, brother, peace, king. How you doing today? You know, like I want to my shine is your shine and vice versa. You know, I want to see you win because you winning makes me feel good and I'm winning. So, you know, just being uh, a part of that and working together as a community, I think really is what's going to help take us to the next level. And, you know, you just got to take the time, right? Because I tell the kids specifically, I'm like, y'all on TikTok, y'all on IG, right? But you're looking at sneakers, you're looking at cars, you're looking at clothes, you know, but are you looking at ways to, you know, create some wealth for yourself? Because the job markets are scarce. You know, I remember even myself coming up, 21 years old, bachelor's degree, refined. I could come in with a suit and tie, but I'm still not getting the same job opportunities as, you know, my white counterparts that come from more so affluent what did communities. You do? What did you do? I just kept pushing. I just kept pushing. I just kept saying to myself, um, you know, listen, you're going to win. It's going to come. There will be a break for yourself. Um, but you also need to learn that you have to build something on your own and you know when i did get the door the op the opportunity in the door right the blessings from others um and all the people that had looked out for me um i took that 
opportunity and I ran with it and I said, okay, now I'm in, but this isn't the end all be all because I think this is relatable across the board, you know, whether white, black or or whatever your ethnicity, when you're going to college, you know, you're in that rat race. So you're in college thinking I'm going to get out of school, I'm going to get a good job and everything is going to be okay. Well, that's not really it, right? right. You, you sold you sold a, a wolf ticket. <laughs> there <laughs> we go. That's what I had when I graduated from Buff State. Yes, you got a you got a wolf degree. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Perez yes. is with us uh, this morning on Buffalo. What's next uh, for another uh, four minutes or so? Uh, we did. You know, I really wanted to get into the real estate. I'm here. I'm free. Things, but we only have a couple of minutes yeah, here. Yeah, but yeah. you know, there, like we talked about earlier, the demolitions have stopped for the most part. Sure, there are a lot of empty lots in the city of Buffalo. Yes, sir. Are they opportunities for building? What do you think? What, yes. what are the possibilities? Yes, they are truly opportunities for building. Um, I am a new developer here in Buffalo. Um, started out, I purchased uh, my three-unit home. So to speak to that, so how to get out of that rat race, you got to start getting those assets. You know, um, I read books like Robert Kiyosaki's uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I went on YouTube, people. There's a lot of information, free information on YouTube that you can learn from and benefit from. And I started learning about real estate, got my um, loan origination license, went and got my HUD certification, worked at NACA, uh, closed over... $14 $14 million worth of loans. And then I started realizing, oh, I want to buy some assets, buy more properties, but the purchase prices were getting too high. Sure. And then I started looking and I'm like, well, I have a big, massive backyard, you know, in my North Buffalo three unit home. Why don't I just build on it? I'm coming from New York City. You know, we build vertically, we live right, vertically. Right, right. So I'm like, all right, let me just do that. So then I went, I put the initiative in. And I reached out to the city. I asked them about the green code, and things are within the green code. You know, if you're a homeowner or a potential homeowner and you want to see changes in your neighborhood, you need to go to the places that have the authority over what is going on in your government, right? Speak to your elected officials, speak to the department heads, and find out what you can do to be a solution and provide that solution. So I researched, I found an architect, I found a mechanical electrical engineer, I combined those plans together, I submitted it to the city, and now we're at the last stage of approval to get this project started. And I think that this is going to help catapult uh, me and the movement of black financial equity rights movement. And I'm coining that here in Buffalo and for the world. um, We got to now start owning and we got to start building. So we can't keep asking for others and every other group to come out and help us. We have to now do it within ourselves and for ourselves. Yet at the same time, it seems like you're more than willing to help anytime. Always, always around. I'm available. People see me. I've been on billboards. I'm out in the community meetings. I'm in town hall meetings. I'm in the clean sweeps. I'm going door to door. I'm around. All right. Paul Perez Jr. is uh, with us this morning on Buffalo What's Next. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you all. And keep believing in yourself. Remember that. Anything is possible when you believe in yourself. Excellent words to end on. This is Buffalo What's Next on WBFO. Support for WBFO, your NPR station, comes from our members and from New Day Live, presenting Ray LaMontagne Saturday, November 5th at Shays Buffalo Theater for the Monovision Tour with special guest Lily Miola. Ticket information at shays.org or ticketmaster.com. Ray LaMontagne Live, Saturday, November 5th at Shays Buffalo. WBFO is your home for trusted news about your community. And WBFO The Bridge connects music and community. 
hear local music from bands like Pharaoh from Buffalo, Tedesco Knows Best from Niagara Falls, and Stress Dolls from Buffalo every day on WBFO The Bridge. Listen at WBFO 88.7 HD2 or WNED 94.5 HD2 or stream it from WBFOTheBridge.org or the WBFO The Bridge mobile app. Not sure what you want to watch tonight? We've got you covered. Visit WNED.org slash TV schedule to see what's on WNED-PBS, WNED-Create, and WNED-PBS Kids. Click the Primetime button to see what's on tonight. You can also search for your favorite programs in the search bar or look for programs by date and time. Visit WNED.org slash TV schedule and start making your viewing plans now. This is Dave Debo. If you tease open any real discussion about race, you'll find at the heart of it there are always identity issues. Who are you? What do you look like? How are people treating you or thinking about you based on all of that? And that's an unease that is shared in at least parts of the Hispanic community. Francisco Vasquez is here. He tells that kind of personal story. Francisco is the retired president and CEO of Child and Family Services. He's also part of the Greater Buffalo Racial Equity Roundtable. Francisco, thanks for being with us. Glad to be here. Tell me about your origin story, because I think it gives us a way to look at racial issues in Western New York through a lens that is different than the typical African-American or person of color. Sure. Um, I'm actually a transplant uh, to the Buffalo area from uh, from Arizona, actually. Um, I grew up in a very small town, Douglas, Arizona, which is right uh, roughly in the north, southeastern corner of the state of Arizona. Uh, my home was two blocks from the border, uh, from the fence. Um, so I spent, uh, obviously, my, my uh, early years uh, growing up in, in, in that small town. It, we lived uh, in a fairly segregated community, although the major population there was uh, Latino. Uh, there, we were segregated, frankly, in, in, in a part of the, uh, the town uh, south of, uh, of the main uh, downtown area. Uh, the, I went to a segregated school for the first uh, five years of my life, uh, five uh, grades of my life, and uh, uh, didn't uh, inter in, interconnect with other uh, with uh, with other uh, whites primarily uh, until uh, grade five. Um, I I like to think about it as having lived in between, mm. uh, in in a sense. In between the culture of my roots, uh, the Mexican culture, and uh, the uh, the culture of whiteness, uh, which was uh, uh, primarily the education system in in, in Douglas, um, I recall in grade three uh, being punished on three different occasions. When I say punished, uh, meaning. Uh, 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 paddled uh, by the principal because I spoke Spanish in the playground. Mm. Um, the I recall the my first day of, uh, of first grade. Uh, um, my mother was asked to pin a three by five card with my name on it uh, so that the teacher would know who I was. She wrote down Francisco Vasquez um, when we sat down and the teacher started greeting us. Uh, she went student by student. And again, we were all Latino children. 
uh, student by student, and flipped the card over and anglicized our names. So I became Frank for a long time in my, in my school years. Um, the reason I raise that is it's 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 living in between uh, in in again the culture of my my roots uh, the Mexican culture and and the culture of whiteness, um, and 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 part of part of that uh, journey is really trying to identify who I was. What what is my identity? Am I uh, I present as white because my skin is white, uh, but I. I don't uh, identify as white uh, because of my uh, my experience, and so I I talk about being in between. What kind of microaggressions or racism mm-hmm. have you seen while inhabiting that middle ground? Maybe mm-hmm. one foot in in a white world and one foot in the Latino world. Uh, I'll 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 talk about it this way uh, the the um, those people from my Mexican roots uh, and my friends my family members uh, especially uh, family members outside of my 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 own family uh, cousins and uncles and all uh, I was viewed as a vendido as a sellout often mm. uh, because I I I pursued the 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 um, uh, you chased the white the dream. White, the white dream. Uh, the uh, and and so you're 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 in a position of, of 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 being criticized because you're you're chasing the, that dream. Uh, on, on the other hand, my white uh, uh, counterparts would uh, would view me as a as a spick, uh, as uh, as somebody who uh, uh, who was uh, different and, and and distinct from them, uh, not accepted necessarily. Again, living in between. Um, so it, it, it again it, it it affected the way that I identified for a long long period of time. Um, initially, I didn't fight the the uh, the the uh, stereotypes. The, the, well, the stereotypes and the attraction to whiteness. I didn't fight it. Uh, later on in, in my years, I, I, I regretted that to a great extent. Uh, um, uh, so I began uh, in my high school years to, to fight to keep my, my proper name. Uh, and even today, people will freely call me Francisco or Frank because they just shortened Either it. one today. Even wow. today. Uh, um, I don't fight it any longer uh, because I, I get it. I understand uh, the the, um, uh, the the need to to uh, to to interact. I, I I'd rather interact rather than try to fight the 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 uh, uh, the discomfort that I feel sometimes with uh, with being presented in a different way. Let me go back to something sure. you said a little bit earlier, though. You you almost felt reluctant, or at least were criticized yeah. by others. For embracing the white dream. Yes. What What would your alternative have been um, to just embrace your Mexican heritage and then put up with all sorts of incumbent discrimination? Uh, yeah, it, which you frankly, ended up getting anyway. Yeah, frankly, that that was the reality, though. I I, I recall a cousin of, of mine who uh, uh, who I visited with. Uh, I I, was, I remember I was a freshman at the University of, of Arizona. And uh, went to visit him, had lunch with him, actually. Um, and he worked for the park system in Tucson. 
and he he said to me, uh, "You'll be just like the rest of us. You'll drop out, and uh, you know you'll you'll uh, if you can come. I'll, I'll help you find a job uh, with the city." Um, I had other thoughts about who I what I wanted to do and what I wanted to pursue, but that was the the um, uh, the reaction, the mentality, I think. Uh, I had uh, uh, uncles who would uh, talk about, uh, you should really go work as a laborer because that's that's what we do. Um, yet I had mentors who were white uh, who who said, uh, here's an opportunity and and we can help you. So again, I, I had I had allies on, uh, on on one side and and detractors on the other. But that began to shift also because I, I began to uh, uh, to meet people who who you know, from my Latino side who were also on the same journey I was in and 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 found a common uh, interest in in, in pursuing uh, different directions. And this is almost a rhetorical question sure. because I imagine the the answer is yes, of course, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> um, but tell me a little bit about how universal your story is. I think my story is fairly universal. I, I think that people who I grew up with, people who uh, live in between, uh, who straddle that border of, 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 uh, of our, our Latino culture and, and the white uh, uh, um, society, uh, I think many of us struggle with that identity uh, 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 challenge. And, 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 and it never leaves you. Uh, you're always aware of it. You're aware of, of of where you fit in and where you don't fit in. You you're aware of of uh, of what you need to do to fit in uh, on both sides. And so when I visit my family and folks and and, and friends in Arizona, I I take on a different persona. Um, and I and I'm aware of it. Uh, I'm not uncomfortable about it because it it, it helps me connect. That was uh, the next part sure. I was going to ask you. Does it hurt? Uh, sometimes, sometimes it, it, uh, uh, it, it, when, when I'm communicating with somebody and, and, and we're, we're, we're having a conversation about an issue, um, uh, there's an expectation that, that I embrace a perspective or a perspective, perspective or a belief, uh, that's, that's, uh, rooted in, in, in our Mexican culture. Um, but I, but I've gone beyond that sometimes, and and have formed different opinions and all, and so it becomes very uncomfortable. And and and, and there are, are some, um, uh, uh, some conflicts that can emerge from that. I also imagine, and if I'm wrong, please yeah. tell me, that you get frustrated sometimes by the singularity of discussions about race, because the yeah. kind of things you yeah. just described are not always part of the mainstream dialogue. Yeah. When, when racial equity, and you are a mm -hmm. member of the Racial Equity Roundtable, right. when racial equity is discussed, it's often not including this, this middle ground, these yeah. people like you, mm -hmm. that feel one foot in each world. Yeah, I would never uh, take a position that would be critical of my uh, black uh, brothers and sisters. Uh, but my point is that, that uh, they have a unique uh, uh, history of, of about uh, um, their their racial uh, journey, uh, distinct from mine even. But when most of the di dialogue is about 
black and white, we lose that middle ground, that gap in between. Uh, and there's a lot of distinction in there. There's a lot of nuance in there. There's, uh, uh, there, there's a brown area in there, if you will, that, uh, uh, where there's a, a, a multitude of perspective, a multitude of, 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 of belief systems, of, of knowledge, of understanding uh, that is lost when we only have conversations about black and white. Um, so tell me more. What is sure. the big untold story? Uh, we're obviously a news yeah. organization. Yeah. What kind of things should we and the media be looking at in order to broaden that perspective or include those other stories? I, I, boy, there, there's there's so much. There's a list. <laughs> uh, there, there, there's so much. But I, I think uh, part of uh, part of that conversation uh, has to uh, include uh, the 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 contributions of of of. of of people in that middle ground, uh, the the uh, uh, the the understandings that that people have about uh, uh, about society, about religion, about economics, about any number of issues that uh, that are frankly lost in 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 the black and white conversation. Um, it's uh, it, it, it it there, but there's a richness there, a a a um, a richness of, of, of thought, of, of uh, perspective that I think uh, uh, we lose when we, don't, uh, when we don't include them. Francisco Vasquez is here. He's a uh, retired executive director of Child and Family Services. Executive director or president? Uh, president and CEO. Okay, I'll say that yeah, again. Yeah. Francisco Vasquez is here. He's retired president of Child and Family Services in Buffalo. He's on the board of the Racial Equity Roundtable, has been involved in many of those issues for a long time. Fast forward, we started talking about your origin story. Sure. Fast forward to Buffalo and the time when you may have just arrived here, mm -hmm. I imagine, for college? Uh, no, actually, my wife is from Buffalo, and okay. so we moved here uh, after we were uh, lived in Arizona for many years. Yeah. Did you find Buffalo to be a racist city, more so than maybe anything you had experienced in Arizona? I, I remember my first year in Buffalo, I wondered why people were so depressed. Um, a lot of very kind people, a lot of, uh, you know, it's a city of neighbors. I get that. I understood mm -hmm. that. I experienced that. But people were, were down in the dumps, uh, is the, the way I described it, uh, long faces. And, um, and I began to understand why. I began to understand that the economy was was in, in poor shape. I began to understand that uh, the the uh, steel plants had closed, and a lot of the ramifications of that uh, were lingering. I began to understand also how how it was a zero sum uh, um, uh, proposition, where if if somebody if one side excelled, the other it was at the expense of the other. And that's what I saw in, in Buffalo as, as a result. So, so when we talk about race, that's what I saw. I saw uh, uh, the, the uh, uh, people of color uh, pursuing uh, opportunity, but being viewed as uh, that it was at the expense of, 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 of whites in our community. So there was this tension that I, that I sensed uh, uh, at, at the very beginning. I, I became interested in understanding that further. That's why I began to engage in, in, in other community uh, uh, conversations about uh, about race. I think of all the times, uh, and this is probably universal, yeah. people will go to a, a wake and uh, see an old relative. Yeah. 
oh, gee, it's, it's sad that we have to meet under these circumstances. Similarly, yeah. talk about the sadness or maybe even the hope that springs from the top shooting because the community could perhaps now focus more on racial issues. Yeah. Um, more recently, I was asked to uh, serve on the uh, on an advisory committee uh, uh, with the uh, the uh, a, a national. Uh, it's called a compassion fund. It's a singular, uh, trustworthy uh, repository of funds that can be that would be used to 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 uh, to help people who were victims of the shooting. Um, I heard a lot of stories at the public hearing, a lot of stories uh, of, 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 uh, of the terror that people experienced. Uh, um, we, we, all of us are in mourning. All of us still can't grasp what really happened there. Uh, I remember hearing the news on, on television and my jaw dropping and then having a family member call and, and and, and, and say, uh, oh, it's going to be a hot summer in, in, in Buffalo. And, and again, I, it, was, it was code for, uh, mm. for, for the racial strife uh, and, 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 a, and a, um, an assumption that it was about the blacks rather than, than a white supremacist who came and murdered yeah. our brothers and sisters uh, uh, in, in that community. Um, uh, it, 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 so, so that that isn't lost in in in, in how I view this. Uh, it, it it is a a, a horrible tragedy. Uh, uh, lives will be affected by this forever and ever. Um, and 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 we need to be um, we need to be uh, mindful that that. Uh, that our community is affected in, in a very profound way. Um, I cannot go into that community and, and profess to know an answer to, to the issues. I have to be in a position to listen and, and, and to help uh, um, uh, that community uh, 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 find its way. Um, uh, but I, we, uh, we need to be supportive of that. Um, I, I, I'm hopeful that that uh, that the conversations that we will have in in in, in the wake of, of of the shootings will be different. Will be much more um, accepting of, of that other perspective, of that other view. Um, but I also am a realist and and and, and understand that uh, that hearts and minds don't just change just because of things like this. Um, I was just going to take you there. Uh, I've had other people on this program, uh, most notably I think of Jomo Okono, who was involved in Juneteenth. Uh, and, and he was talking about how last year uh, the, the, the vision of Derek Chauvin's knee on George Floyd's neck wasn't just in the media. It was in people's living rooms. They were seeing it on TV. It was a moment that he said, kind of crystallized the nation yeah. but things didn't change we still yeah. have a top shooting yeah. um, is that where you your caution comes from that, that society is slow to change very much so because I think that the the uh, uh, the roots of our of our racial issues are systemic uh, and 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 we're all 
we're all um, uh, victims, if you will, of our of our own doing, of our own uh, the, of the systems that we create. We, as 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 human agents, create these uh, social structures. We create uh, the the laws that govern our lives. We create uh, the the responses to issues uh, that uh, uh, through religion, through through uh, through economy, through any number of of, of social structures. Um, and when we get where where we get get sufficiently tired of of the implications of that, we begin. To activate to change that, so uh, I, I I'm, I'm hopeful in that sense, but I'm also wary that we're not done yet. There's a lot more that has to change systemically in order for us to uh, uh, to affect uh, our our lives in a positive way. In large part, I think you you've identified a little bit of the dichotomy too. Yeah. There is the attitudinal shift. Blacks and whites and Hispanics and everybody need to understand each other more yeah. attitudinally. Yeah. But because they haven't, out of that also springs all sorts of systemic things. Uh, we can talk about redlining. We can talk about disinvestment. Yeah. We can talk yeah. about segregation. Is addressing the attitudinal stuff enough to change the histemic, systemic stuff? Or should we just uh, – I had a guest on the program recently that just say yeah. – Starfish washes up on the beach, you toss one starfish at a time back into the ocean, mm-hmm. and you're at least saving one starfish. Yeah. Um, do we attack each one of those systemic starfishes, or do we need to do something more attitudinally, more broadly? I think emotionally I, wanted, I want to attack the, the attitudes. Uh, realistically, um, I... I think there is there is greater success, greater value in 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 changing systems, um, because I think hearts and I I think hearts and minds change when we become accustomed to a a, a different a different structure. Um, we become more accepting of it because we 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 have to behave that way. We create the, the, those those structures still to to govern our our lives. And, and, and for, for very appropriate reasons. So I think that changing systems actually results in the changing of hearts and minds eventually. It takes a long time, though. Um, That's interesting because yeah. I think the conventional wisdom would be the other way around. All right. Change the attitudinal stuff right. and the systems will follow. Right. But you're saying the systemic change would, would have obviously a, a bigger impact. Uh, I believe so. Uh, the... the uh, the, the idea that that uh, the 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 hearts and minds of people that uh, if I go talk to somebody about uh, um, uh, about race and 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 how we ought to to uh, to be more accepting and to behave differently um, and 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 that person views that as a a, a zero-sum proposition meaning if 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 my black brothers and sisters gain, then I, as a white person, lose. Have lost. Right. Have lost. Uh, I don't know how you change the, minds, the hearts and minds of, of, of that person. Um, but but if, 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 if we view it as a systems issue, uh, then uh, everybody, there, there's a commonality there. All of us want to succeed. All of us want to work. All of us want to be productive. All of us want to have a, a, a say in, in, in our lives. Um, 
And if we can create structures that, that help define how that is done, then I think hearts and minds change. The other part of that is that it, we, we, we want to call people into the conversation. We don't want to call them out. And so when you, when, when you, when you approach it from a, a, um, a hearts and minds approach, inevitably you're going to say these are the people that are that are uh, the racists and these are the people that are that are not well you've just called them out and and I, I want to talk to that racist but I want to talk to that racist in in, 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 in a way that does not alienate him or her in the context of of of, of the structures how 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 people how all of us may benefit from from the way we we, we uh, we engage with the structures that we, we establish. What does, and, and this is a broad question, but I think sure. it's also an easy way, and I've almost used yeah. it too much, yeah. but it's an easy way to, to wind down the interview. Yeah. What does Buffalo need? What's step number one? Oh, goodness. Um, I think step number one is for us to pay greater attention to the disparity that exists in our communities of color, primarily, even though there are pockets of of, of 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 areas on the west side, primarily on the east side, and 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 the reason I say that is because I think that the the uh, if you look at the the uh, the uh, disparities in 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 economy, in in healthcare, in education. Um, you, you see much more uh, uh, impact of, of, of in, in, in the east side. Um, uh, I, I think there, there are, are so, many, um, um, so many needs across the, the Buffalo area, but in particular, I, I see where, where uh, there, there is a, a lack of opportunity uh, on, on the east side. When you look at Tops being the only grocery store on the east side, um, uh, and, and the food deserts that exist. If you look at the the housing, uh, the the affordable housing in in, in uh, uh, on the east side, you then begin to understand where 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 the attention has to be uh, focused. Uh, I think many parts of our community have benefited from from. Uh, um, Public and private investment, but uh, others have not. But others have sure. not, and 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 so that's what I would say that we need uh, 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 to address. Francisco, yeah. thanks so much for your time. You're welcome. Thank you, Dave. Francisco Vasquez is president emeritus and CEO of Child and Family Services, chatting with us today on Buffalo. What's next? More conversations tomorrow, right here on WBFO and WBFO HD One Buffalo. W-O-L-N Olean and W-U-B-J Jamestown, your NPR stations. I'm Dave Debo. Thanks for listening.